Right. Okay. I mean, that would be. Do you know what? That I feel like there's a really great intro for you to do here. For... <laughs> do like twinkle twinkle. Um, yeah. So if I, do you know what? So can you what can you play? Is that it? Um, I I I can't play anything except um, heart heart. You know that classic song which just goes. Okay, well, I just want you to know that that's going in the podcast. Um, maybe it's like a little breakup thing. I can also play um, Twinkle Twinkle for you if that. Well, that could be the outro. <laughs> um, okay, three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to the Hoopla Impro podcast, the podcast all about the who, what, and where of improv. My name's Leo Maxwell, and every episode I'll be interviewing great improvisers, getting their top tips, favourite exercises, and even a wee bit of juicy improv goss along the way. As you may have figured out by now, my guest for this episode is the unbelievably brilliant improviser and beginner's piano player, Maria Peters. Watching Maria, along with her breaking and entering partner Lauren Shearing, perform on a Friday night at the Miller is to watch a nigh-on-perfect example of two-person improv. As well as being one half of breaking and entering, Maria has performed at numerous international improv festivals and multiple times at the Edinburgh Fringe, including with her own solo show. In this episode, Maria talks about why it's so important to be the improviser people want to play with why she felt compelled to curate Breaking and Entering's all-female playground nights at Hoopla, and what role Amy Poehler will have in her dream show. Maria Peters, welcome to the Hoopla Impro podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty good, to be honest. Um, it's, a, it's a nice sunny day today, and the world feels okay when the weather's all right, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a toddler, so that was that was full on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got through it with a lot of park visits, and um, we think we had COVID at the beginning. Did I tell you that? No, I think a lot of people <laughs> in prop did. Steve Rowe did. Yeah, yeah, and and that was at the very beginning when um, they weren't really doing tests. So we need to get an antibodies test to see if um, we've got antibodies. But that doesn't even exist now, does it? We don't even know if that even works. Were you doing shows, do you think, with COVID? Mm, no. No, I wasn't. I was, uh, I was training. I was in corporate training, but not improv shows. The Miller is such like an intimate venue that we're now when we, we go back to thinking of February, we'll be like, hmm. <laughs> I know. And also, you know, it was probably around in January and we were still carrying on like normal. Oh, well, we can't think about that because that was a no. different time. So the Miller, as I've just referenced, mm-hmm. was a place that, you know, we used to and will again perform at. First thing I want to know is if a new improviser, and this might have happened to you, I'm sure it has done. If a new improviser came up to you and said, mm. oh my gosh, you are Maria Peters. What are your top three tips for being a great improviser? Top three tips? Yeah. It's how we start off every episode. I love it. Number three. Or is this number one? Let's say let's say it's number three because it's the first one. Let's be obvious. Yep. I know it's probably a cliche, isn't it? But 
I think the biggest thing that scares beginner improv improvisers is that um, you're not going to say the right thing or the good thing. But if you just say the obvious thing, then it actually ends up being the good thing. You know, um, and people ask me about stage fright, people who don't necessarily do improv. And, and I think stage fright comes from trying to be good and trying to think what's a clever thing to say now instead of like what's, what's an obvious thing in a conversation to say. So that's number three. Uh, be obvious. Number two. Um, pretend like it's a conversation. <laughs> um, maybe you don't even have to pretend. Like just have a conversation. Um, I think I was reading a really good blog by Will Hines, who is a UCB improviser, as you all know, which. I don't even know if UCB exists anymore, if that survived the pandemic, right? I think UCB New York shut down. Good Lord. That's, yeah, so anyway, he's, he's still around, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> and he's writing, he wrote a blog which was like, I think it was called Past the Blurg. Um, and it talks about, maybe we can put a link on it here, but it talks about if you're in a normal dinner scene and someone says pass a fork, you just pass a fork. You don't turn it into an incredibly um, dramatic thing of like, why do you always ask for forks? I hate you, kind of thing. Just like, <laughs> okay, sure. you, you've just hit every beginner's improv trope there of turning every <laughs> scene into a negative. Um, yes. And is that combined with stage fright and trying to be funny? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's absolutely that thinking. I'm on stage. I should be interesting. Therefore, what is drama? First thing I think of is an argument. So if you ask for a fork, I'm going to lay into you, which is... Which doesn't end up being funny, sadly. It just ends up being a bit sad. Because everyone's like, oh no, what did the fork person do? Um, so yeah, anyway, he goes on to talk about um, if you're an alien and an alien says, pass the blurg, then you don't have to then be a really dramatic alien going, what's a blurg? Like, you're insane. Just be like, sure, here's a blurg. Anyway, it's a good article. Um, so, number one. Da, 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 da. Number one. Be the improviser you want to play with. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all well and good um, seeing improvisers that are funny on stage, but then if you're in the audience, you see them, and then you can kind of tell that other people in that show might not be having a good time because one person's being really funny and kind of undercutting everything, if you know what I mean. Like, if you're someone who just wants to be funny at the cost of everything then no one wants to play with you because you might as well just stand up kind of thing because your whole goal is just to get laughs so no one's going to want to play with someone who's only thinking about themselves and I've had you know new improvisers come to me and be like oh I'm not very funny how can I be funnier and I think that's you know not necessarily the place you want to be focusing because then you're just in your own head thinking what is the line that I want to say but if you're the improviser that people want to play with, then you're generous, you um, set other people up, and in turn, therefore, people will like respond and play well with you, I think, as well. So no one will get, um, like, I think people can get a defensive on stage sometimes, like, I'm funny, no, I'm funny. So, yeah, number one was be the improviser people want to play with. Perfect. And I think just to kind of extrapolate on that a little bit, because you've been teaching improv for so long, you've 
had to maybe come across people who come into improv with maybe a misconception of what it is. If they mm-hmm. are funny people in maybe their life or with their mates and they think, oh, this is a chance for me to kind of do that again. Yeah. You had to kind of recalibrate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, sometimes people get given the gift of an improv class by people who are like, you're already funny, you should do improv. Um, and then I think they realise that it is not about trying to have that finishing line you know some people like you'll start a scene and the first person will say hey welcome to the grocery store sure that's all i'll say welcome to the grocery store and the other one will go um this isn't a grocery store and you're my mum." you know and they're trying to be funny and they might get a titter from the audience but obviously ruins everything um there's also people that kind of I guess when it's the first time they're allowed to say anything, they get quite filthy. <laughs> that seems to be a weird thing. Yeah, like it does. Hu- analyzing human psychology of where you go to when you're allowed that for the first time. Yes, I think so. I think it is that thing where take down all the barriers of like normal social conduct, and the first one is like sex related, or, or maybe sex related, and then like scatological, <laughs> like peeing mm. and pooing and stuff. And then once you get past that, swearing's a big one, like swearing loads. Once I feel like you get all that out of your system, it doesn't last very long as a beginner. And you get onto like normal conversations where you're like, oh, I could say anything, but I might just speak how I normally would instead of trying to shock people with the things that I could say. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that can be beginners sometimes try, sometimes try and come in and shock people with how funny and shocking and you know surprising they are with the words that they say okay well those are brilliant those are brilliant tips and i think if we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum now and I'm yeah gonna, and we're going to jump to breaking and entering yeah um which is the two-person group you do with lauren shearing and it's yeah. probably the best two-prov i've ever seen and i think a lot of other people would ever see and um, so my my question is did you know beforehand that this is going to be something really great and really special and then I do have a follow-up question of what do you think it takes to make a t- good two-prov show? Oh, okay. So, so the first one, yeah, what did you know yeah. beforehand? So when I first met Lauren, she came and saw me at an improv show, weirdly. She was doing stand-up and, I think, sketch at the time. She hadn't done improv. And it was an all-right show. It wasn't great <laughs> at the beginning of my career. But what I remember afterwards is, like we got into funny banter immediately and I remember like crying with laughter when I first met her she was and I remember thinking she's one of the funniest people I've ever met and she totally gets the same humor that I get and I was like I definitely want to be this girl's friend who is she she's amazing and so I think because we became friends first really enjoyed each other's company and absolutely had the same thought process when it came to comedy I think that really helped. And so we did a lot of um, workshops together. We did a music box originally together. Um, and so we started originally playing together a music box, but um, there was a night at, I think it's called the Priory Arms in Stockwell, which is like a really haphazard, I can't even remember who was hosting it, but like, you know, 20 people in the room and they were like, who wants to get up? There's, we've got a space now and me and Lauren had just gone to watch and we looked at each other we're like should we should we get up and do a two rock okay um so 
sort of accidentally we did that and um it was so much fun and it was just kind of an extension of our ridiculous conversations in real life but on stage <laughs> and how so, do yeah. you can you relate that show to the one you do now can you still see the same sort of patterns and the same behavior yeah i think so we had to work really hard on slowing down i think a lot we were both quite quick finishing each other's sandwiches <laughs> and like constantly just back 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 we've got loads to say so one of the things that still comes up in our show now is that we have to keep reminding ourselves that we can do quiet scenes, we can do scenes with big pauses in between lines because, yeah, naturally we just bounce off each other really quickly. I can't remember if we did what characters we did in that original show, but I wonder if Lauren remembers. But yeah, I just remember it being really fun and we were like, we should do more of this. Oh, and then we went to Chicago and did the five week oh, intensive at IO together. That's so interesting. I was yeah. going to ask about this because I know you've done the, the IO and UCB yes. and. I didn't know that it was with Lauren. That's really interesting. What did that yeah. kind of teach you guys as a pair? Yeah, that's right. And I think um, because when you sign up, you can't guarantee there was like, I think, nine different classes that year, different streams. Uh, we couldn't guarantee that we'd be in the same class, um, but we were. And I think that really helped because it really styled yeah, the type of scenes that we wanted to do. Um, and so, yeah, that really helped. Five weeks in Chicago. And we lived together and that was lovely. <laughs> so oh. we really got to know each other even more. But yeah, um, that was, I think we'd done like three shows and then we went to Chicago and we felt so much stronger when we came back and did loads more shows. Because one thing you do really well that I think audiences notice is you transition between characters and then play the characters that the other person was playing. Oh, and yeah. There's a lot of joy in that because you can almost, from the audience perspective, you can almost tell that what you can see in your eyes on stage, wait, who am I and who are they <laughs> and what are they doing? And how long did, did that take a long time? Did you get a coach in to help you with that? Well, we, um, we saw, because we'd been told so much about TJ and Dave, we made sure that we saw them when we were in Chicago and that's what they do. Um, they transition into each other's characters and it blew our tiny minds. Um, so yeah, we, we had to, we had to try and think how to do that. Um, Katie Shute, as you'll know, um, is an incredible improviser and she used to do a show with Rachel Blackman. I want to say about 10 years ago and they used to do that as well. Um, I can't remember if, Paul and Carrie did it when they did their trip off. But um, yeah, it was something that we wanted to include because of that um, stretching element as an improviser, because you've got to think about your character, but <laughs> trying to remember what the other person on stage is doing in case you need to do that character. Um, do you think that makes you a better listener, like an intrinsically better listener? Oh, 100%. Yeah. You have to kind of become, I think you go through different stages as an improviser. Um, one where all you're thinking about is yourself and what you're doing and then the more improv you do I think you begin to become an editor and know when scenes can finish and then you move on to being like a director being able to step out of the scene see it happening and think what would be interesting to happen next and so yeah with that kind of being a director you have to I think be aware of everything that's going on on stage I think that's something that will blow a lot of people's minds thinking especially if you're coming from a non-improv background thinking oh these are just people getting on stage and oh my god they don't have a script and oh my god now they have to be a director and they have to do <laughs> x y and z but i guess over time you guys have just got so used to it especially with like your dynamic as it is you yeah, trust yeah. her 
to know what she's doing. She trusts you to know what you're doing. Yes, and I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think because we've done it for so long, like I remember one of our early rehearsals, we were two people, like this is just me and Lauren in Lauren's house. Um, we were two people in a cinema, and then at the exact same time, we both jumped behind to be the the people behind those two people in the cinema because we had the same thought at the same time. And I think that's what helps is that I can quite easily <laughs> second guess Lauren and Lauren can quite easily second guess where I'm going. So that helps, I think, not necessarily to, to guess what, um, so that it feels relaxed, but it's, it's someone that you've played with so much that they still definitely surprise you, but they don't surprise you in like not listening or, you know, throwing a spanner and, and making it difficult. So I guess I can relax a bit more with Lauren so that I can feel like I can watch the scene, yeah. She's great, obviously. It, there's a real joy to watching the two of you. It's almost like you do finish each other's sentences. You're so keen and eager to like, and I think it's not, there's no negativity in the shows. It's all, all the characters feel yeah. so positive. Is that a conscious yes. decision? 100%, that's a conscious thing. Um, because we have had, you know, made the mistake and learnt from teachers, um, especially in Chicago, who um, really hammered that home, that starting with an argument, and I, you know, I teach this as well, starting with an argument is so hard to get the audience on side, because you don't care what happens with the outcome of the argument if you don't care about the relationship. You can absolutely have an argument towards the end of the show if you've got the audience on side with the relationship and whether they're rooting for those two to be together. But if you start with two strangers arguing, you've kind of got to backtrack to then make the audience care about what they're saying. Whereas if you start with two people liking each other, then we already get on board with liking them because they're having a lovely time. So we don't want anything bad to happen to them. But then... If they um, have conflict, then we care about them more because we're like, oh no, but what about their happy life that they had? We want to get back to that. Mm. So, yeah, I think um, we have we have accidentally started in conflict sometimes and then we have to kind of backpedal and we find it a really... Also, the audiences don't necessarily find arguments funny unless they're scripted, I think. It's really hard to do good improvised arguing at the top of a show. Um you know, I think about Monty Python and the argument sketch, which I don't know. Do you know those sketch? Yeah. Where they, yeah. Um, where obviously it's great, but, you know, they, they've got this game that they're playing. And, and Lauren and I start with relationship um, and build that first. And then we kind of layer games on top of that when they come. So has it got a, a traditional format or is it just one you guys made up? So we used to have a format where we would kind of almost do a Harold or we'd have three characters or worlds and then we'd visit the, those three again and then we kept just getting excited by random <laughs> tangents so now what we try and do is start with three different worlds and then see what happens just to you know if we've got a 25 minute set just to have some variety in what people are seeing um, but you know sometimes there's loads of characters in one scene so we bounce off into their worlds as well um, and more broadly in terms of the breaking and entering nights because mm. they are seen from people like me and other people in the improv community such like staples of like you've got RH nights breaking and entering nights and they are so, so like dates in the calendar but what 
prompted you guys to be like, right, oh, we want to curate a night where with female front of house, um, female tech, all female cast. When, how did that come about and what was the process behind it? So um, I remember talking to Steve Rowe um, ages ago. Uh, maybe whenever it's God, I don't remember we started. Maybe about six years, six or seven years ago, um, and I was teaching at the time, and I had told my students to go to a hoopla jam, and I remember being at the back of this jam one night, and whoever was hosting that night was like, uh, "Who? All right, who wants to come up on stage or um, just put your hand up?" And I noticed that all of my <laughs> no word of a lie, all of my male students were like, "Yeah, I'll give it a go." All of my female students were, they weren't like terrified, but they were, when I asked them later, I said, why didn't you put your hand up? Because none of them did. They were like, oh, I just wanted to watch this one and maybe I'll have a go at the second one when I'm better. And it really frustrated me because as they were in my class, I knew, you know, they were equally great female students as well as men. And so I thought that was a really interesting thing that in a mixed environment, women, no, like men weren't holding them back and that was the key thing men weren't going no you can't do it but women weren't putting themselves forward and so I thought and I spoke to Steve about it and um Steve was saying that he's found that if you invite people then it can really help um their confidence because you know sometimes I think women especially we wait to be asked to do things rather than putting ourselves forward so I was like oh, okay so maybe we can do a night where we invite people in the first half and then me and Lauren will do um, a bit and then we'll have um, other guests in the second half and we'll do a jam at the end. <laughs> so the very first playgrounds were mental. I used to start at seven and used to finish at like 11. It was <laughs> far too long. We used to have invited um, people like uh, beginners in the first half um, and then we'd have yeah a break and me and Lauren would have a set and then we'd have the playground players, which was like all of our friends that we want to play with, and then would have a break, and then would have like anyone else, male or female, who wanted to play. And we would host it, and we would, uh, the final, that final jam that we used to do, we used to jump in and help scenes along because we really wanted to uh, manage the, uh, the environment so it was a safe environment for people to play in. Um, so yeah, absolutely ridiculously <laughs> So we stopped doing that. It must be a really nice thing for you both to see people who do the first half, who are the swingers, and then yeah. see what they go on to do later after that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thinking back, I don't know, unless you're in a group that you either create for yourself or you're invited, you know, with your classmates, and unless you do jams, you won't necessarily get stage time. And some people, I think, don't realise how good they are until they get on the stage. And then I think... You know, if we just give them a regular environment that they can play in and feel safe, then we're absolutely delighted. Yeah, with what people have come on to join us in the second half. You know, who started in the swingers because we're like, you're so fun. Come on to the second half. Um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been really rewarding. Surprisingly so, I think. And I think Steve does instill this as part of Hoopla's thing. I think he doesn't always want people just to do all the levels of the courses. He would, he says that, you know, if you've done, just get on stage. That's the best proving ground possible. Is that a philosophy you share as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you definitely learn in, in workshops. Of course <coughs> you do, but there's a different type of learning on stage. And I don't necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily think you should be charging people loads of money to watch you early on. <laughs> because you're still <laughs> figuring it out so 
you know, those early shows are probably going to be in front of other improvisers and maybe, a, you know, a couple of pals. But, um, yeah, definitely it's important to get that stage time. And also I think, you know, back in the day, before we had levels, you just did improv for a while and then got on stage. And now I really hope that people don't feel like they have to graduate by doing all the levels before they're allowed on stage because, you know, it shouldn't, that process was only put on because people, students were asking for it because Steve was going, I don't want to do levels, but everyone's like, what do I do next after this course? Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think stage time and just workshops with as many different teachers and schools of philosophy as um, you can, and then just pick and choose your favorite bits. And in terms of teaching, what mm. are you missing most about that, about getting to interact with students? Because you do teach like a, an array of stuff from beginners to what's something I'd like to come on to, which is the deconstruction, which is a really yeah. interesting thing. So what, what about it is it that you're kind of missing the most right now? Um, well, to start with, when I teach beginners, it's, I absolutely adore being like a tour guide to the world of improv. Like, I kind of see myself like, imagine if someone had never seen the Eiffel Tower and you get to drive the bus to take them there. And they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And that's what I feel like I do with beginners. I'm like, have a look at this cool thing. And then they do it and they're like, this is amazing. I'm like, I know. So I miss like that spark in people's eyes when they realize that they can do it, that, you know, it's not intimidating and that, you know, that you see them building confidence and stuff. I love that in the beginners. And then going forward to the other courses, I love them. I absolutely love seeing people... (laughs) I know this sounds sadistic, but seeing people struggle and then come through the other side, because I feel like that's what um, improv is about, is realizing that you're going to have loads of times when you're learning and you're you're really wrestling with a new skill, and then the joy when you kind of can add that to your tool belt, I think. Was having that relationship with failure and seeing where you sit with that because before we get into this world of improv that fear of failure is something that we just don't know how to grapple with and it stops us from doing so much yeah Um, and yeah and and I think what's really interesting um is when I started improv I was all like yeah failure embrace it embrace it and then I um then after about five years of teaching and doing the shows that I regularly do I was like oh I'm not doing anything out of my comfort zone. And I was, you know, trying to push other people to do so. So that's when I did um, a solo scripted show for Edinburgh because I was like, I can't tell people not to worry about failing if I'm not doing anything along those lines. But, um, yeah, it's... I think when you first start improv, you know, the the environment is so supportive and it's like, you, you can't... Um, don't worry about failing, embrace failing and stuff. And then as you get on to learn different formats and structures, and structures, there are certain ways that you have to try and um, kind of be, what's the word, uh, disciplined. Hmm. And so, yeah, you can't, you're learning a new skill and it's like painting and it's like, you know, you have to paint in a certain style, you're improvising in a certain style and it can be hard if that's not your natural style. And talking about hard, what is the deconstruction, Maria? <laughs> Explain to the listeners, what is the decon? Because I remember reading the blurb and I was like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> but it sounds fun. It is fun. Oh, sorry. <laughs> was that part of it? Were you planning to do that little keyboard? <laughs> I was just, 
I literally slapped my hand on what I thought was a table, but it's a piano. I'm sitting at. Um, so here's what is fun: the deconstruction is basically taking a relationship and deconstructing it. So the relationship scene is quite um, a meaty, juicy scene. You like have like a seven minutes or so, and then you revisit that. You revisit it about three times. Um, seven minutes and then four minutes and three minutes and in between revisiting this amazing relationship scene you're pulling out different things that you're watching so two people will do this relationship scene and that's all they'll do in the show they get a lot of stage time um but it's kind of quite naturalistic improv because they're just starting positively mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they'll probably discover something about each other that they didn't know and then um the other cast, which is usually about six or seven, will watch the, this scene like hawks to pull out certain things. And the first thing they pull out is the types of themes they see happening in the relationship. So it might be like jealousy. It might be, um, it might be one-upmanship. It might be um, a parent who really wants to hold on tight to their teenage teenagers. So it might be about like not letting go. Might be the theme. And when they think of these themes, they then um, initiate some scenes based on those themes. So it might be like, you know, if you if the theme was a parent not letting go, it might be a bird who doesn't want to let their chick go out of the nest and just be like, you're not ready, <laughs> kind of thing. And so you're inspired by the themes, and then you do it again, then you're inspired by um, the uh, the satire or the games, and then you're inspired by anything that you remember from their relationship. So it's it is tricky because you're you're doing different styles of scene depending on what you're inspired by but i think you know if you can get your head around the deconstruction then whenever you're doing improv then you can consciously think what kind of style of scene do i want to do next as opposed to i'll just do my normal big character scene or i'll just do my normal serious natural scene um you then just really have an array of styles you can pull from I've heard that if you can do the decon, you can do anything in improv. Yes. Is that the thing? Is that... I do. I do think. I think if you can do the decon, you can pretty much play in any show too. Like you could guess in any show because you you could switch styles quite easily. Maybe not a musical because you don't do musical, but you know, in terms of some shows are really fast paced, really big character, big laughs, big like let's find the funny and get out. And some shows um, are like narrative, and some shows are a bit more. Um, let's find the relationship and all of them are valid and I think that's what the deconstruction does it shows you all of the possibilities that you can improvise something that a lot of people are excited about and I think and I want to get how you're feeling about this is you're running Hoopla's first post-lockdown real life course which is focused on unsurprisingly getting back into improv um how are you feeling about doing that you know I had um I was I had a good chat with Steve before um before we launched it because i wanted to be sure that what actually improv would entail if we got back into it in september you know do we need to have masks on was my first question um and thankfully no um but we do need to stay two meters apart and then you know we talked about how far two meters is on the ground and it's actually not that far and i think in our heads when we think of two meters we're probably actually imagining about six meters (laughs) So if you measure it out on the ground, it's not far. So once we were quite um, happy with 
the fact that we could still do loads of improv really well using those restrictions and um yeah we thought we thought what would be the best thing to launch an in in real person improv scenes uh course and and it's basically i put myself in the shoes of students which is like you know not having done improv perhaps in in life maybe you've done some online stuff but for about six months now it'll be because you know so much of improv you keep in your head and it's and it's something that just comes to mind I think you know we take notes and stuff but it's basically become second nature to you and so for all of us I think it's a nice course to just you know look at a bit of short form look at a bit of scene work just remind ourselves how we do improv and that it can still be fun um so that's what the course is going to be a little bit of everything that's been fun and I imagine those first warm-ups and games are going to feel weird but incredibly exciting <laughs> totally totally like can you even imagine being in a room with more than <laughs> two people i is you know it's i think the first lesson is definitely going to be like what, how do we do this now and like in the introduction to how do we remember to stay in the right places and stuff but um yeah it will be exhilarating won't it that feeling of just having loads of people having fun in one room and when human well, well i think what's what is going to be interesting is people who are improvisers and usually throughout however long we've been doing i've been doing it five six years you've been doing much longer we've always had a place to go to so the other people in our lives don't have to put up with our, <laughs> us doing bits and yes. trying to be funny and we haven't had that for months and months and months and months <laughs> that's so true yeah, and I think, you know, depending on who who you're living with, whether they encourage that or stamp it out or whether you are having to do it by yourself, it's, it's I think it's going to be quite early for a lot of people, yeah, to find their, their tribe again, definitely. Have you been back to the Miller for a drink yet? It's very weird. No, I haven't. Mm. Are the, is it open indoors or is it, it's how both. does it work? Yeah, you can do both. Um, and, you know, that smell of the Miller. You know, there's <laughs> yes. just the smell of it and it's just like... I mean, it's not always like the super great smell. It's just like you just you. It, it get it, it's like a weird Pavlovian thing. Yeah. Of oh god, I okay. I should be lining up on the stairs here, and uh, Monica yep. should be hosting the night, and you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and what a great host Monica is, so isn't she? Monica is just the best. I think I remember saying to her, I tried to emulate how she because when I did the episode with her, I yeah. talked about. It, you've got to find your own hosting style. But what mm-hmm. I love about Monica's style is that it's almost like she's she hasn't got a pre-prepared intro. She's doing it as she as she's mm-hmm. going and is showing how much she loves the form. And yeah. she's just so able to... I think what was the best thing for me is that at the beginning, I was just looking at the back of the room and I was like, <laughs> why aren't the audience like interacting with me? And Monica was like, it's because they're down there. And I was like, oh... <laughs> Oh hi! Look at them. Yeah. Hi everyone! Oh, you like to be talked to? Okay, not over the top of. It's it's so good though. She's she's really brought a professionalism, I think, to um, improv nights. Where I think I'm trying to remember. I think in the past, like we used to just host our own. We host our um, playground night because we always have. But yeah, I think yeah, you know, some people just aren't natural hosts, and so it's great that she holds holds the nights together, which is very good and there's somebody i think who i don't know at what stage you saw her at the beginning but seeing her do the playground and then Mm. when she went and did the comedy store players yeah it's lovely to see that progression 
And she exactly and and isn't it great that thank God Monica exists because I feel like she's the perfect example of the perfect personality for improv who's kind of landed in it, done brilliantly and um, I think Amy Poehler or was it Tina Fey? One of those two books. They say improv is such a great um, art form because the cream of the crop rise to the top. And I think that's a perfect example of Monica. Like she hasn't necessarily been doing it long, but she's doing the comedy store players because she absolutely is uh, brilliant enough to do it. Well, this would lead us on quite nicely to another question that I've been asking everybody. Yeah. So in the world, maybe the near future, maybe the distant future, that there's a night and it is the Maria Peters improv comedy extravaganza, and you get to cur- <laughs> cur- curate your own show. Yeah. And you can have the venue, you can have the host, and you can have three acts. Uh, um, and where would, so if we start with the venue first, where would you like this extravaganza to be? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, I, <laughs> I, love the, I love the Miller so much. I'm trying to think like, is there anywhere else? that I would host. I feel so at home at the Miller. Um, and when Lauren and I have played and even done the playground at other venues, sometimes it's hard to get that same feeling we get at the Miller. All right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so let's do the Miller. Great on-brand <laughs> answer. Thank you. <laughs> what have other people said? Have they said like the O2? Um, well, um, I think some Lee Simpson said the lyric, I think. Um, oh, theatres! I forget theatres. Oh yeah, theatres are things. Oh no, he said um, Buxton Opera House. I think was one. Um, oh okay. But you know, you will be now getting a free drinks token from the Miller. So uh, yeah, okay. well done for that answer. Also, can I say another answer as well as the Miller? Well, what we can do is you can play yeah. the Miller first half. We all get in a coach. <gasps> yes. Okay. Great. I love it. Perfect. So we do the warm up at the Miller. I love that. And then we all get in a coach and go to Soho Theatre, which is my absolute favourite theatre in the world. It might be quicker for us to walk, but yeah, let's get in a coach. This <laughs> <laughs> is true. This is true. We could do like they do in Edinburgh, um, those walking the silent disco tours. So, okay. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so we'll start in the Miller. So what's the question? Who are my three acts? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the next one, so you can do host and then three acts or three acts, then host, either way. I mean, obviously, the playground night is one of my favourite nights and we kind of started it from scratch and it's got a lot of my favourite people there. Um, and then, obviously, it'd be nice to have some boys included. Uh, so. <laughs> what boys do you like? What improv boys do you like? <laughs> Maybe it would be uh, the playground boys edition. Oh, okay. Can you give me like, okay, give me three guys that you'd like to see in that. Um, three men or three groups of men. Uh, three men for this one. So this is just going to be like in the end. Oh, the jam. first. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know that you've mentioned him, but Lee Simpson is an excellent improviser. So he's going to go in there. <sighs> what if I combine like Lee Simpson, Steve Rowe, and I think probably someone like Justin Brett Fantastic. from Showstoppers. Yeah. Um, I love his style. Um, they're three very experienced gentlemen players, so I think that would be an excellent show. I'm going to call it the boy playground, that little section. Okay, that's copyrighted now. Um, <laughs> act number two. is going to be the swingers group <laughs> from the playground. Act number three. Is gonna be um, one of the headline players groups in the playground. 
Am I, is this a cop out? So effectively, what this is, is <laughs> your night. <laughs> but we do a dance party to the Soho Theatre. <laughs> Midway through, which, because some of the others have been so far-fetched, but this is kind of plausible. Yeah, do the, do the boy warm up at the Miller, yeah. and then the <laughs> Soho. We've got to do some very simple phone calls to some boys, and then right? once, once they're on board, I mean, all we need to do is hire out the Soho Theatre. Easy That's enough. Sure. Easy? Yeah. Um, oh, I host. Know that, um... host, host, host. Oh, um... Okay, gosh, I can't think beyond Monica now. Uh, can we? Can oh, anyone? doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be an improviser. It could be it? anyone. I mean, it could be your okay. It's gonna be. Um, it's gonna be Amy Poehler then. Oh, okay. So we're really spending our budget mostly <laughs> on flying Amy over then. Uh, <laughs> do you know my friend has met her? I know this sounds like a random link, but she um she's a writer and she won a little. BAFTA, you know, not not the main BAFTA, but the the under BAFTA. The under is that what they call it? Is that the official term? It's like it's like um it's like newcomers or something. Is that what BAFTA newcomers? Oh yeah, is it the Rowcliffe thing? I don't know if it's that. No, I think it's newcomers. Okay. And uh, anyway, she, this was a few years ago, and she got to name anyone who she'd like to be her mentor in Hollywood. She chose Amy Poehler. She's had like two or three meetings with her. I know it's. I can't believe she didn't film them for me. It's outrageous, isn't it? <laughs> for the interest of the listener, my mouth is open because that is for an improv. <laughs> that's what mine was when she told me. She was like, yeah, she's really nice in person. And I went to her office and I was like, shut up now. Well, how many people do you think? I mean, I know I was inspired. I, I got into improv after reading Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. And yes, yes, yes please. Um, yes, please. <laughs> and... I, yeah, I think for any improviser to be able to meet one of those two people would just blow our little minds. Right? I know they they're pretty incredible. And those books, re, a lot of a lot of people in my beginners classes over the years, I always ask them how they found the class. And some of them try and be funny, and they're like mm, Google Maps, but <laughs> others were like, um, you know, they read Bossy Pants and stuff. So I think yeah, it's really helped let people know that of the art form. Okay, well, this has been an absolutely joyous chat, Maria. I nearly started crying laughing there. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the Hoopla Impro podcast. Thanks, Leo. If I could just ask, could you play us out something um, on your piano <laughs> for the outro? Sure, because I'm such an accomplished pianist. Um, okay. Thank you so Thank you. much. Next time you have me on this podcast, I'm honestly going to be able to play something, I promise. Okay. Thanks so much, Maria. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Hoopla Impro podcast. For more episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at hooplaimpro.com. We'll also find a great range of resources and other information on our upcoming classes. And do give us a shout out on social media at Hoopla Impro on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. See you next time.